Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. Uh, today's episode we feature another uh, interview uh, from Julian Chambliss for his Beyond Impossible segment and he's going to be talking to Nyinga Magruder. Um, now for those that don't know, Nyinga Magruder is a comic book writer, artist and animator that is the winner of the 2015 Dwayne McDuffie Award for Diversity. Recently we saw a major announcement that Roxanne Gay and Yona Harvey would be the first black women to write for Marvel with the publication of Word, World of Wakanda, uh, which is due out in November. While they will be the first black women to write an ongoing series, we should recognise that Magruder wrote a story in A Year of Marvels, um, September Infinite Comics, issue one. Magruder's story is a digital-only one-off. It is it's part of, of, of Marvel Unlimited, a subscription-based service that lets fans read certain Marvel titles online. The story features Tippy-Toe and Rocket Raccoon and is drawn by Cy Holm. Um, in, in many ways, Magruder's emer- emergence should be taken seriously because she is following a pattern established by Marvel for more than a decade. Considering those writers that have been employed by the House of Ideas, everyone has a career as as an indie writer or artist before getting a chance at Marvel. From Matt, from Matt Fraction to, to Jonathan Hicks, these, these writers made their mark with, with creator-owned work. Magruder fits this mould well. She has, she, she's been garnering a following with her webcomics, MMFK, and we don't and we don't go there at night, and continues to 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 innovate with her with her new children's book. This doesn't take anything away from superior writer that Marvel's Marvel is employing to write World of Wakanda, but let's give her a do. And with that um, little spiel, I'm going to hand you on to uh, Julian and uh, the interview. Here we go. Thanks, Ian. This is Julian Chambers. I'm here with another segment of Beyond Impossible. Today, I'm talking with Nyla Magruder, who is the creator of MFK, a great webcomic that is one of the first winners of the Wing McDuffie Award for Diversity in Comics. So, Nyla, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Uh, I want to start out by giving people the opportunity who might not be familiar with the work to, to let you describe what MFK is. Sure. It's an action-adventure fantasy. It's about a girl who's returning her mother's ashes back to her homeland but she gets lost and ends up stranded in a small town and 
the girl's name is Abby, and she also has uh, mysterious powers that she doesn't reveal right away that tend to get her in trouble as she's going on this journey. And you conceived of this um, as a webcomic, and it's been going for about how long? Uh, it's been about four or five years now. And what's your, do you have a, a end goal in mind, or are you just going to continue to, to do it? My end goal is just getting it done. <laughs> It's it's kind of it's an ongoing story okay. and it's kind of an epic story. So right now I you know, I do have an end goal in mind for it, but it, it it's it's a ways down the road. So right now I'm just pushing forward and plugging away. So when you started this project, I know that you uh, started uh, actually doing cartooning work very early on. Uh, you did cartooning uh, while you were in college as well, right? Yes. I can you tell a little bit about your experience, um, your early cartooning experience and how it influences your work today? I guess I've, I've been drawing for a really long time. I've been drawing for most of my life. And um, I... You know, as a kid, I was into comic strips, really. Not so much, um, not so much like superhero comics or indie comics. I really didn't go to comic book stores, but I, I read the comics and the Sunday paper every week. And then when I was a little early, uh, older, I got into manga. And so all through my school age years, like middle school, high school, and then in college, I was active in newspaper club and did comic strips for our school page. And so that was kind of, that was the extent of my comicking um, before I graduated college. My goal had always been animation, and I studied animation at Ringling College in Sarasota, Florida. And so comics was always a pastime for me. It was something that, it was something, you know, animation's very collaborative. You really can't animate on any, like, large scale without a team. And so comics was a way to tell stories in an illustrative format uh, by myself. And so it's something that I always kind of played around with in my spare time, but I really didn't sit down and try to get a webcomic going until after I graduated college. So when you came up with the idea of MFK, what were some of the sort of creative source materials or antecedents that inspire your vision? Mm -hmm. I, I started developing MFK in the early 2000s, so like 2002, 2003, and I was really into shonen manga at the time, okay. and that's like um, comics targeted toward boys, and so I was really into Naruto and One Piece and Shaman King and then Bleach when that started. Mm -hmm. And so I used to read these comics, and I loved them. You know, I loved the action, I loved the character development, but... I always thought to myself, you know, it'd be cool if there was a story like this that centered on a girl, because a lot of these stories, they're very boy-driven, and female characters kind of get left, you know, to the wayside, and so that's kind of, that's kind of what, uh drove me to start developing my own story. And I think one of the things that will be really interesting, and one of the things that sort of stand out about your story is that for a lot of people when they conceptualize 
what a creator of of color uh, is is inspired by. They they have a, a really strong predetermined set of uh, influences. But you're a huge fan of, of manga, and can you tell me tell tell us a little bit about how like manga? Uh, what what is it about manga that sort of like shapes your creative vision? Like what is it about manga that really speaks to you, and and how is translating that into like your own vision, um, like a challenge or, or benefit? You know, what what are some of the processes that are behind that? Well, I think what dry what uh, always drew me to that that format was um, the character development, which the complexity of it I felt like I feel is a little different than you'd see in Western comics. Like there, in Shonen especially, there's a very there's usually like such emphasis on sh- friendship and finding alternative ways of solving problems. You know, there's the fighting aspect. But in a lot of these stories, you know, fighting and using brute force aren't the only ways to accomplish a goal. And and often, often, like, fighting and violence are kind of last resorts for these characters. It's, you know, the option you'd use when no other option will work. And so... I I kind of I like that complexity. I liked the development of friendship and the development of bonds that happened in these stories. And also there's the use of space and silence in manga that really doesn't happen so much in western mainstream comics. Like usually pages in mainstream comics and when I say mainstream I mostly mean superhero comics, like right. big two comics. Like usually the pages are overloaded with information. There's dialogue there's narrative there's you know panels upon panels of action going on and right. in manga there's there's a lot more there's a lot more time taken uh on panels and and in the text as well um you know like there can be entire panels where there is no dialogue and it's just you know characters processing their thoughts quietly right. and you know it makes for it makes for a very long reading experience you know if you've read like naruto you know it can take like several chapters to get through one conflict but but i i I like that i like i like that space that's given to to developing uh to developing character and developing underlying themes and for and you mentioned that and these are sort of boy driven stories and you saw the opportunity to to bring a female protagonist uh into the world as a as a as a female creator with a female protagonist what are some of the things that you look to do to distinguish that story that character that protagonist from um, what else? What else is out there? Is it just simply that she's female, or is, or is there more to it than that? Well, it's that it's that she's female. It's that she's black as well. Because at the time that I conceived this, uh, there weren't a lot of black female lead characters in right. the comics, yeah, and yeah. you know that's still the case. Right. Like, there's not a single black female character leading a book at the big two. There, and we we, we focus <laughs> when it comes to criticism of this uh, in mainstream comics. We focus a lot on the big two. Right. And Marvel and DC, but there aren't a lot of black female characters in indies either. It's 
just, uh, you know, there there hasn't been given, there hasn't been a lot of space given to black women to tell these stories. Right. So, you know, that, that was an aspect for me. I wanted to create a character that I could relate to and that I knew like other uh, women of color could relate to. And also my goal with this story is to kind of, to try and keep gender 50-50 to, um, to include uh, gender non-binary representation right. um, to just show to basically to just not make it male driven right. to show that there's a wider diversity within this world and that characters can compete with one another um, equally, you know, this, you know, regardless of their differences. Right. And, and, and I think that this is one of the things that's really interesting about uh, MFK. You won the Dwayne McDuffie award. And of course that award is named for uh very famous proponent of diversity in comics, Dwayne McDuffie, who's one of the partners who created Milestone Media, who's a, um, a big in animation with um, Ben 10 and Justice League and things like that. Um, and one of the things they cited was your was the complexity of the diversity in your in your comic. And indeed, that's one of the things that sort of distinguishes it, as well as its sort of clear influence by Asian, Asian manga. Um, has that success and you know let's be clear you you have su- succeeded in, in, in the many of the things that you try you try to do has that success resonated with the audience are you seeing some of the goals that you had when you created it come into fruition and like the response from the readers and response you're getting like awards or coverage is it is it closing the loop in the way that you wanted to and inspire engage you know i'm i'm always shocked when when i see a review and or you know somebody talking about it online and they get it like uh, you know, I know I know what themes are supposed to be there, even if I'm not consciously thinking about it every moment that I'm writing. I know what themes I want to drive for. I know what elements I want to include into in the story. But I'm not, you know, as the creator, I know what's supposed to be there, but I don't know if it's coming through. I don't know how clear it is mm-hmm. until somebody tells me. And so when I see reviews and they're, you know, they're nailing things that, you know, aren't, aren't explicitly said in the story and aren't explicitly said by me but they can still see it and feel it it's you know it's it's confirmation for me that i'm hitting the mark and so i always appreciate that that always gives me warm warm fuzzies and you know and it's it's scary too because every now and then i have readers who will say you know oh my gosh abby looks just like me or You know, I can relate to her because I'm also hearing impaired and, you know, and I've, and, you know, some, some people have told me, you know, I lost my mom too. So, you know, Abby's my favorite character. That's like, it's almost, it's kind of terrifying because I'm like, oh my God, you know, this representation does mean a lot to people and I want to be careful with it. You know, these are people's, you know, it's my character, but these are still readers' feelings and readers', you know, experiences and relating to these characters and so I want to handle that as carefully as I can and so you know it can be it can be overwhelming at times but I love I love getting that sort of feedback um, have you been uh, active in the uh, con circuit have you sort of like interacted with fans directly like sort of seen no yeah. cosplay your stuff or anything oh no cosplay but um, <laughs> I do I exhibit at a couple of conventions each year and so like readers will come up to my table and you know 
we'll talk about characters or a story and you know they'll sometimes they'll guess at what's coming next and that's always fun <laughs> and and you said that um your your primary goal is to like just keep the story going and it's been going for a while are there other ideas sort of like percolating in the back of your mind that you're like oh uh, yeah that's an idea that i might want to develop later or are you just totally 100 yeah. percent focused on this right now and nothing else can possibly go on uh, there's always stories and you know some there are times when i think you know that's it i'm tapped out of stories i have no other ideas no other ideas will ever come again i've peaked uh but you <laughs> you're know, silly. Every now you're too young to peak you're <laughs> But, uh, you know, I always say that and then out of nowhere, an idea will come up and I'm like, oh, I, I have to work on this. But, you know, MFK is, MFK is a priority, but there are other stories I want to tell. So I have to think about format, you know, okay. how I want to tell these other stories so that I can continue MFK, but still have room to work on other things that maybe aren't as long, maybe aren't as epic. And so, you know, I've been, I, I have a picture book coming out in November. So I've been, and picture books are, you know, a little simpler, you know, right, not yeah. as much of a time commitment. And so I've been doing that. I've been working on novels and I've been moving more into writing comic projects. Right. And so that, you know, that allows me to pursue other stories while still working on this one. Right, so you you do have a book coming out, and what's the title of that book? It's called How to Find a Fox. How to Find a Fox, and that, and that's as I'm, if I'm wrong, please correct me, but I think it's a children's book. Correct. Um, what was what was the your inspiration for that? Um, well, I was let's see. Well, first of all, I I was getting interested in writing children's books, but specifically, I was looking at young adult. But right. Okay. Um, I figured, you know, I can illustrate too, so I might as well try picture books out and see if I have any talent for it. Okay. And so the inspiration for How to Find a Fox, um, I wanted to tell I wanted to tell a story uh, that kind of had elements that were personal to me. So okay. it's about a girl who lives in the country. She you know, she's got all this nature and wilderness around her and she goes outside to take a picture of a fox and where where i'm from i'm from central maryland and so i grew up in the woods and we always had all sorts of nature and wildlife around us you know like you could look outside in the yard at any time and see a herd of deer moving through or ducks just sleeping in the yard or we we had a family of foxes that lived nearby and usually we heard them more than saw them you know, right. you know, foxes have that terrifying scream that they do. Right, yeah. And they're mating. And so in the middle of the night, you just hear foxes screaming outside. And so, but they were, you know, they were such a part of our existence, you know, out here. And so with this picture book, I tried to include a lot of the wildlife that I grew up with. And so through the pages, it, it focuses on this little girl trying to find a fox, but you'll see raccoons all types of birds, squirrels, lizards, some insects, you know, ladybugs and butterflies. And and so, yeah, like it's, 
it's personal in the sense that it's every page is just full of the things that remind me of home. Okay. And for uh, those people that might be looking for it, where, where would they be able to find it when it's out? Uh, you'll be able to find it in most bookstores uh, on November 15th when okay. it releases. But you can also pre-order it online through Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. And who's it coming out from? Flywell & Friends, which okay. is an imprint of Macmillan. Awesome. And you said you were also developing some, some writing projects apart from, from MFK. Like, and Can you give us a hand of what those might be? Yes, I also have a, a story coming out from Marvel. Oh, it's, wow. Yeah, it's, it's part of, um, they've got a series going called The Year of Marvels. And so my book is The Unbeatable, Volume 1, and that comes out in October. Okay, well, you know, clearly we we have to know more about this. I mean, has, is this your first major work with um, with Marvel? Is this your first? Yeah, work? this is this is my very first book with Marvel. Wow, um, how did that come about? Uh, they just contacted me and said, "Hey, we have this the story and the series we're doing. Would you like to write it?" And I said, "Heck yes." <laughs> Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what The Unbeatable is about? Sure. It is, it's actually two stories. So I, I wrote one of them. Okay. And it's a team up between Rocket Raccoon and Tippy Toe Squirrel from Squirrel Girl. <laughs> Sorry. I, the, the visual just immediately came to mind. Like, huh, okay. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to write. And, and who's handling the art for that? Um, it's Sia Oh, I believe is her name. Okay. And the cover is amazing. And that was done by Jamal Campbell. Okay. All right. Wow. The yeah. And if you just look up Marvel, the unbeatable number one, it should come up. But yeah, the art for it is amazing. And it's, it's a fun story. I'm excited for people to read it. And is this a one and done for you in Marvel? Or are you guys still in conversation about what you might do? Oh, who knows? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's really interesting. Interesting. I mean, they, they approached you, and presumably based on your work with with um, MFK, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Like working on MFK has opened a lot of doors for me because people can see that not only can I draw, I can write. Right. So yeah, uh, the editor who approached me, her name is Kathleen Wisniewski, mm-hmm. and she actually follows me on Twitter. So I think you know, I'm not sure at what point she became aware of my work, but you know, I do know that. Uh, you know, she was following me, and that's what led up to it. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. And as a as a creator with you know like an established pedigree and in independence, you're you're sort of like uh, following a path that's sort of been established with people who started to work for Marvel the last few years. They have an established product, they put it out continuously. They have their own following. And then Marvel comes a calling. If they were to come back, would there be a, p- a particular character you would like to explore? I've been thinking about it, and I haven't. I'm, I'm unsure. Um, I don't know quite yet. Like, I, I have been thinking about what characters there I'd like to pursue, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right, it's okay. Keep it close to your vest. What about DC? Is there a DC <laughs> character that you might, might, might want to? This might be a chance for you to, like, throw your hat into the ring. Hey, DC. Hey, I feel like every time I see, like, a DC book, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to write that character. And, like, of course, right now, like, nothing's coming to mind. <laughs> I do love, like, for me, my big entry into comics into superhero comics has been animation okay so i loved young justice 
I I too love Young Justice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think I think if there if there were a character at DC that I'd like to pursue, it'd be a Young Justice character. Um, and also recently, back to Marvel, I I didn't know about this book, Power Pack. Yeah. Oh and, God. Yeah. yeah. He'd be great, Power Pack. Yeah. Like I'm very interested in Marvel's younger characters. It's teen and kid characters. So oh, I can yeah. tell you, like, if I wrote another character for Marvel, I think I'd want it to be a teenager. Like I grew up loving the X Men. I feel like I don't want to do an X Men because the X Men have been done so well already. Right. <laughs> like I can't think of an X Men that I'd want to do something kind of obscure i think like a character that hasn't had a lot of focus yet and so i don't know who that character is yet but i've been thinking about it okay um and is there forgive me for not knowing this but is there a a uh, collected edition of mfk that people can get their hands on or is it all still webcomic um no there isn't right now the webcomic is still the primary form of reading okay uh, any plans for maybe in the future? I mean, you reach sort of milestone, you might think about sort of physical, I mean, a Kickstarter. A lot, I know a lot of web comics have sort of made that made that transition. Um, yeah, Kickstarter has done a lot of wonders for independent <laughs> comics. Um, maybe. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a legitimate answer. And in terms of like the the, the, the overarching question of um, your experience as a as a creator of color, in a lot of ways, I think one of the things that leaped out about you, and, and one of the things that really made me want to talk to you is that um, you kind of set your artistic vision, hit upon a platform that that you were able to excel in and you know got got recognition for it in a lot of ways it's it's i'm I'm sure it was a lot harder than i'm describing it but at some very basic level it is kind of like classic story of like you know someone with fucking talent and like they just go out there and make it happen um but i I also probably recognized that there were a lot of challenges and i wouldn't want to like leave it without talking to you about some of those challenges What, what would you say was the biggest challenge for you in sort of pursuing this vision um the biggest challenge I'd say is time, just finding the time to work on it and right. the energy yeah. to work on it. Right. And I, and I um, was remiss. I should point out that like you are doing, you have a regular job and you do this too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, bad interviewer. First... That's a bad interviewer. Yes, she has a regular job, people, and she does this too. Yeah, and a, and a lot of webcomic artists do. Like they work full time and do their webcomic too. When I first decided to begin working on this, I was unemployed and kind of depressed, and I needed something to occupy my time and thoughts. And so I was like, you know, I'm not doing anything better. Let me just work on this webcomic that I've been developing for ten years, and. And so I announced a, a premiere date, January 23rd, and, you know, I was off working on it, like building a buffer. And then the very week that the comic debuted, I got a job. Oh, wow. And so... Congratulations. Yeah, like, oh, well, thank you. It was, it was great. But yeah, so at that point, I was like, oh, I have to scale this back. <laughs> So I've, I've been juggling work and comicking since the beginning and it's, it can be rough. You really, it takes a lot of discipline. Uh, it takes a lot of turning friends down when they want to hang out and, you know, just staying in and plugging away and working on it when you really don't feel like it. But 
results and you know i look back on it now and i'm just like ah, how did i get through every single one of these pages <laughs> because it you know it takes me it takes me a full week to get a page done sometimes oh wow but but yeah the results i think have been worth it oh yeah the you results know, the results definitely speak for themselves can you talk a little bit about for and i think this is very much the case for like a young creator who wants to do something like you you do like what is your technique like where's some of the technical like clearly you have a background in computer animation i'm assuming everything is computerly done and what's your work routine to get get a page done so yeah most of it's digital i thumbnail and pencil just because it's more comfortable and then i scan the thumbnails and use those as layouts and i handle the pencil ink and color digitally in photoshop um so my my schedule fluctuates but i know i know basically that i can i can thumbnail on thursday ink on friday and usually do colors over the weekend and so it takes when i when i'm compressing it it takes about four days to get a page done um basically i come home in the evening after work i eat dinner i might relax for an hour and then i sit down and i work on the comic wow and that's 52 weeks out of the year kind of thing right like holiday break or like you take christmas (laughs) off thanksgiving or summer vacation yeah i do try to take breaks now and then um you know i have no i have no actual like holiday schedule for this so you know there have been years where i've updated on christmas day um uh lately i haven't been uh as good at updating every week just because there's been there have been so many distractions but yeah basically i try to update as frequently as possible and um what about the sort of creative community do you have um, fellow creators that you sort of network with and talk through ideas with or um, are you sort of more like your own internal engine in terms of like sort of bouncing through ideas or talking about story developments and things like that now i have i have my network of other webcomic creators um a lot of women of color uh and i have my kind of inner circle of people, like one or two of them are also creators, one or two others work in other fields. But I go to those guys first when I have story trouble or if I want pages looked at. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, I do have my network of people that, you know, we talk about like we talk about our stories, we share art, you know, we talk about the larger webcomic community and the larger comic industry. And yeah, I think I think having a network and being involved in the community are very important for creators. And for your your network, you say a lot of them are women of color, they're fellow creators. Um, surely you talk about some of the pitfalls, some of the difficulties in terms of like the comics industry. You know, you've been doing this for a while and, you know, arguably have had some success. Do you think things are better for a young creator who would be similar to you that was coming into the business now than it was, you know, five years ago, six years ago? Yeah, I think there are more options now for young creators to get their work out there. I think, um, you know, like Kickstarter wasn't a big thing, like even five years ago, but now it's a reliable way to raise funding for printing comics. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you know and web comics of course like there's there's no overhead you know there's no gatekeeping to getting a comic scene anymore mm-hmm. um let's see yeah uh i I'm, i thought i had something else i wanted to say and i've forgotten it but yeah it's definitely um there are definitely more options now and as a community because of you know twitter and tumblr and social media as a whole right. like the signal has gotten a lot a lot louder in terms of diversity you know like the diversity discussion has always been there it's been it's been there since the 1800s like ida b wells was talking about diversity in publishing right and yeah. so and so this this is a conversation that's always been there but i don't know if there's ever been a period in time where it's it's been as loud as it is now you know we're so tapped into one another that we can really talk about these issues and like reach reach newer platforms of you know of nuance in discussing these issues and so i think a lot of people are becoming much more sensitive to the need uh, for diversity and so you know, the mainstream, I think, is still a tough nut to crack. And the mainstream, by function of being the mainstream, cannot move as fast as indie comics. Sure. And so, yeah, like, there's definitely more flexibility if you go the self-publishing route, right. which is a great way to start. And, and I and I say that for pretty much any industry. Like, the format has really become, put your stuff out there, and that's how you'll get noticed instead of, you know, submitting directly to publishers. Right, so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's yeah. very true. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that I think it's always in a creator's benefit to to work on their own thing, to do something original, something close to them. And following up on that idea, I mean, how difficult is it? I've heard some independent creators, um, and it doesn't matter what color, but talk about the the work of promoting oneself, right? So there's the work of creating the work, which is yes. work, and then there's the work of communicating that the work is created, right? Promoting is a full-time job in itself. <laughs> right. And what are some I'm of the... I'm not a good self-promoter. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so so what are some of the things that you've done to self-promote? Is it just being on social media? Is it your website? Is it... You know, it's really been t- being tapped into the community. Um, okay. I let other people promote me. Um, you know, I have, like, this This comic is part of Hiveworks, which has been great. Hiveworks is a publisher of web comics, and so that brings in steady traffic, but... For the most part, you know, like my network, you know, we all know each other. We all know each other's work and we plug each other as much as we can. And and that that helps a lot. Like, I think more than anything, my comic has benefited from word of mouth. You know, just other mm-hmm. people talking about it. Right. You know, I don't really, I don't really buy ad space or anything. Right. Um, I'm listed on a few like web comic uh, lists and directories. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Like, that's all I do. And there's way more you can do. Like, right. yeah. web comic creators can reach out directly to publications, to uh, news sites, um, and get their work promoted that way. And I don't really utilize that. To because I'm I'm lazy and I also don't generally have a lot of news to report. But, <laughs> you know, it is it is an option for people, and, and a lot of a lot of creators utilize it. Like they'll go to Comics Alliance or uh, Io9 right, and sure. other websites, and you know, whenever they've got a Kickstarter or a new book coming out, they'll get some buzz. But yeah, for me, it's mostly been word of mouth. <laughs> 
And and uh, you said you were part of Hive Works. Yes. Yeah. Um. And in in terms of like you know some of the nuts and bolts of a web comic, like your your comic is hosted somewhere, and you got to pay for the hosting, right? I mean, like you do have to generate yeah. at least a little income to do um, that. Or? Yeah, it takes a little bit of money. Like I pay for hosting, and it's about a hundred bucks a year. Okay. But you know, Tumblr is a free social media platform that has a comic theme. Right. Yeah. So you know that's I I do spend some money on my comic it is not necessary like you can be completely broke have zero budget and still get a comic online Okay, and then that would be the uh, ultimate thing to keep in mind. You can do it even if you don't have resources, but you have creativity. Right. And even, you know, I have Photoshop, which is a very expensive program, but there are programs like GIMP, which is free, and Manga Studio, which if you get it on sale, is like 25 bucks. And I use Manga Studio, too, for my comic, and it's a great arts uh, art program. Okay, well, I uh, I know that you you have uh, things you gotta do. I want to uh, give you a chance to uh, give some shout outs to your forthcoming project. So, it, where can people find you online? Um, you can find me at nylamagruder.com or pretty much any social media platform um, at at nylawful. That's N I L A F F L E. Like if you see that name, it's most likely me. Okay. And your forthcoming children's book will be out in November. Right, November fifteenth. How to find a fox? How to find a fox? And your first story with Marvel, The Unbeatable, is out in October. Yes, and I believe the date is October nineteenth. So solicit your local comic book shops for that. Right, or go do, down there. Do whatever it is you're supposed to do when a new book is coming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go down to the comic shop and say, "I want Unbeatable," because you know the woman who does mfk does it and i want to see it right um yes and and of course mfk is always there you can start from the beginning as i often do because like, i'll be honest with you like i started it then like i forget and then i go back and i'm like where was i and i start from the beginning again and that's why i'm so far behind i'm sorry oh nice no <laughs> is always there <laughs> it's always there but it's always mocking me why can't you move forward that story <laughs> um I really want to uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us about your um, your creative vision and and some of the some of the things that are informing that. Um, of course, uh, you can always check in with us next week uh, for our next interview with Beyond Impossible. And thanks for listening to um, Sci-Fi Pulse dot now and Sci-Fi Pulse Radio. Uh, see you again next week. It's a lot. Hey everybody, this is Daniel Corey, writer of Image Comics Moriarty and Red City and Danger Cats Ludworth, and you are listening to SFP Now. And that about wraps things up for this week. Um, we'll be back real soon with an interview with um, actor um, Adrian Huff, who's um, you know doing a lot of science fiction work I've made, and he's also recently worked on a film playing Sigourney Weaver's brother. So not only is he guest starring in some really new hot science fiction TV projects, but he's also guest starring with you know perhaps one of sci-fi's most iconic talents of of, of modern movies. So we'll, we'll be speaking to Adrian about his experiences working with Sigourney Weaver and and pretty much everything else he's done um, that we can fit in next week. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll be back at you soon.